Welcome to Season Ticket presented by Press Room Pass. This podcast is your passport to sports history with a peek at the present. The hosts, Chris and Don, will share with you their love of sports, highlighting their favorite teams and seasons. While they focus on the past, they'll talk about some current events too, and along the way they'll probably throw in a few pop culture references. This is Season 1, Episode 6, and the guys are winding up their series celebrating the Cincinnati Reds' 150th year. Our hosts talk about the infamous 1990 Cincinnati Reds bullpen known as the Nasty Boys. Who is their favorite hero or villain? Stay tuned to find out. This podcast is presented by PressRoomPass.com. You'll hear more about Press Room Pass and how to connect with the podcast later. But right now, let's start the show. Hello again and welcome to Season Ticket presented by PressRoomPass.com. I'm joined here once again by my cohorts, Donnie T-Bone Tincher. Hello, Don. Hey, how are we doing today? We're doing pretty good. And Michael W. Swigert. How you doing, Michael? As always, it's great to be here, guys. Do we know what the W stands for, by the way, in Michael W.? Or did I just make that up? It's like the S in Harry S. Truman. Yeah, there you yes. go. Exactly. This is our final podcast in the 150th anniversary of the Cincinnati Red Series. And we're going to end this series with the 1990 World Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's. The last podcast we did was the last time the Reds were in the World Series prior to 1990. That was 1976. Yes. Swept the Yankees, Big Red Machine. And then after that, the Big Red Machine slowly was kind of piecemealed and traded apart. And uh, other things happened as well. So, Don, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened between... 77 and the 1990s. Well, as, as I mentioned in that podcast, the, the trauma of Tony Perez leaving the Reds still haunts me to this day. Yes, your favorite uh, player. Yes. The, the Reds were able to recover to a degree with that. Sparky Anderson was gone. John McNamara became the manager. And the Reds made the playoffs in 1979. Mm-hmm. So the remnants were still pretty good of what was going on. Uh, Pete Rose was gone. Mm-hmm. He had signed with the Phillies. Ray Knight was playing third base, but the Reds were a pretty decent ball club in 1979, but of course they fell to the Pirates who went on to win the World Series, the We Are Family group. That would be the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. Exactly, and those guys were were awesome players. One of my favorite disco songs of all time. I don't know if you you or Michael believe this, but I used to lace up the white suit. That's uh, with the uh, the high heels. Uh, okay, I, I and, uh, did you have the stain alive, John Travolta? I had the stain alive, Johnny and, T. And, and the vision of that, it a, makes me want to grab my cheese head and and cry like I did with Tony Perez, mid seventies, late seventies, right? So that's that's where we are historically yes. with this with this podcast. But nineteen eighty one was a, another great year for the Reds. They mm-hmm. had the best record in baseball, but didn't make the playoffs. The that was the strike year. And the Reds finished second in both halves, how they determined the, the playoffs. And after that, the Big Red Machine was done. You was, could officially say it was over. It was, well, 1982 was a horrible year. Yeah. And 83 wasn't much better, even though the record was a little better. Then 84, Pete Rose came back to the Reds. And, and by the way, not to, not to interrupt you, the dumb, weren't the 80s, though, wasn't that 
the the World Series was once again being dominated by the Yankees. No, the Dodgers. The Dodgers. The Dodgers won the, uh, they actually beat the Yankees that year. That's correct. They finally got that done in 1981. I don't know why I watched that World Series, but. Well, we were seniors in high school. (laughs) That could be. Plus, the Dodgers did have Fernando Valenzuela. Another one that breathed through his right eyelid. Right, yes. For for those of you who love Bull Durham, as I've mentioned on many podcasts, I will bring up numerous references to Bull Durham. (laughs) Yes. So if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend you see it. And then you'll understand what the heck I'm talking well, about. Well, that, that would be good. Go ahead. But anyway, we've uh, welcomed Pete Rose back to the Reds. And thankfully. In what capacity, by well, the he way? Well, he was player manager. Okay. Thankfully, Tony Perez came back as well. Obviously much older. The big but dog. But he was around. And then the Reds started breeding younger players that become a vital part of the 1990 team we're going to talk about. Probably the two best were, of course, Barry Larkin, who's a member of the Hall of Fame, and Eric Davis, who... Potentially could have been a Hall of Famer, but I think just injuries and not being able to extend his career while he was with the Reds, Eric Davis was exceptional. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beginnings of the Nasty Boys, as it were, with the team that was forming. You know, 1989 was Pete Rose's last year with the band from baseball and everything that kind of really provided the the opportunity for Lou Pinella to take over the team. And on the American League side, the Oakland A's were becoming power once again. Yes. And they were in, and they won the 1989 World Series, but that was the Earthquake right. Series of 1989. But they had, they had won that World Series, so they came into the 1990 season as a defending champ. The Reds, that year, by the way, took on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right, yes. The Pirates, you know, had had a great year. Doug Drabeck yes. was an awesome pitcher for them. They also had Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla. Yes. And Sid Bream Sid uh, was Bream. somebody Sid that the they had. They were pretty good. But the Reds beat them four games to two. Yes. It was a fairly it was tight a, series. It was a good series. Yeah, it really was. It went back and forth. The Pirates took the first game, then the Reds. Took the next three. The Pirates then won game five, and the Reds closed it out with game six as Danny Jackson, Norm Charlton, and Randy Myers threw a one-hitter right. to end that series. And so that brings us to the 1990 World Series where the Reds then went into it kind of as the underdog. Yeah, no Not question. kind of. They were the underdog. Right. To the colorful yes. Oakland A's, only it was a little bit different. They didn't have the, the mustaches and all that, but they had a lot of – Bravada well, they and were, arrogance, if you they will. They were a great team. With the Bash brothers. Right. And Ricky, uh, uh, Ricky Henderson. Henderson. Of course, the Reds had the reputation of being the Nasty Boys. Right. It seemed like the era of colorful nicknames as well. Yeah. But you mentioned the Nasty Boys yes. over and over again. What, what was it that made them the Nasty Boys? I mean, they couldn't have gotten to the World Series being nasty players as far as being <laughs> poor performers. But they had to have something. That well, I tell you what, there were a lot of things, a lot of personalities on that team. But there's a moment during the season where it all came into one thing. In June, on a Sunday night game, the Reds were playing the Dodgers. The hated Dodgers. But anyway, a couple games before, Mike Sosha had blocked the plate mm-hmm. and – it didn't sit well with the Reds. Okay. And so Norm Charlton, who was a pitcher, okay, was running at first base. He scored from first, ignoring the third base coach's sign to stop running. And basically, 
you've got one of your three relievers, your core of your bullpen, running like a madman <laughs> and just drills Sosha and scores a run. And it's clearly – he runs through the stop sign, first of all, at third, and then – he doesn't even go after home plate. No, he, he just targets Sosha, who's not even standing on home plate. Right, he time. just runs over him. Exactly. I mean, literally runs over him and lowers his shoulder and just. And at that time, it didn't matter. You know, nowadays you could be ruled out or safe depending on where the catcher is. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of factors that go into what happens at the plate in in that situation nowadays because of the rule changes. But in that time period, it didn't matter reminisce about Pete Rose running into Ray Fossey and there's different ways you can look at the Rose Fossey thing because I think there was a time where Rose thought hey I'm gonna slide Mm -hmm. and then he didn't he just ran over him whatever you know happened happened but this was clearly I'm gonna run over this guy so as opposed to the Rose Fossey collision where there was some debate about whether he was going for the plate or not right well he was gonna score that was Charlton Sosha it was this was an attack uh, yeah uh Charlton decided as soon as the ball was hit from first base, yeah, that he was this run. is exactly. this is my chance to take Sosha down, yeah. <laughs> and basically he did it. There were a lot of other things over the year that well, you teams had, fighting and well, you had Rob Dibble was not above just drilling well, somebody in the noggin, yeah, no, because he, he didn't like the way he was standing right. in the and, batter's box, and and apparently though, even as Dibble and Charlton were personality yeah. wise. Randy Myers was even crazier. Crazier, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. so you had so so each one of them had their own unique nastiness to them in different ways. Hence, the nasty boys. Yes. With that, let's take a little bit of a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get more into the actual World Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's of 1990. Thank you again for listening to Season Tickets presented by PressRoomPass.com. We'll be right back. hear more about Cincinnati Reds pitching staff of the 1990s and the 90 World Series when the guys come back. Quickly, we want to remind you about the podcast sponsor, PressRoomPass.com. Our co-host, Don Tincher, posts concise articles there on an almost daily basis. Head over later and read a few. While you're there, check out the sponsors and advertisers. Our featured sponsor this month is ProCT Solutions. You have questions, they have answers. If your small business is still using Windows 7 or older systems, contact ProCT Solutions about moving to a modern platform. While the January 2020 end of service date for Windows 7 does not come with the same issues as earlier Microsoft retirements, you shouldn't trust your data to older systems without knowing the risks. The experienced and friendly staff at ProCT Solutions can answer your questions and help you get the best technology fit for your business. Visit ProCTSolutions.com to get in touch with the professionals who want to solve your problems so you can focus on your business. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to connect with Chris and Don. But now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Season Ticket, presented by PressRoomPass.com. And before the break, we were talking about the 1990 Cincinnati Reds and 
also and the Nasty Boys. The, yes, and how they got the Nasty Boys got their name. And you know, we talked a lot about their bad behavior right before the break. But the one thing that we didn't talk about them was their superior performance from the mound as relief pitchers. They had an excellent year that year. I don't know if you have the, well, the stats yeah, they, on that, but they, they had a really low ERA. Yeah, and, they were great. And it's one of those things where they led. This is the the wire to wire team. There's yeah. a book called Wire to Wire. Correct. And they mixed and matched. I mean, they all got chances to save. But if the Reds got to the seventh inning and had a lead, it was over. Yes, no no, no question. Line. We had talked about how they had defeated the Pirates in the championship series. So now they're moving on to the World Series. And as I mentioned before the break, they were, I think, going in probably considered an underdog because the A's had just a ton of power. They had the Bash brothers, of course, and Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. They had pitching. Their number one guy was Dave Stewart, and their closer was Dennis Eckersley. They also had another great pitcher who I believe you said uh, won oh. the Cy Young Award in Bob Welch. Yeah, Bob Welch was part of the Dodger organization early on and then ended up with the A's. If you ever get a chance to find the book, it's an old book that Bob Welch wrote called Five O'Clock Comes Early. It's about alcoholism and, and some of the things that he went through. It's a very, very good book. It's an honest one. That it's, it's and something you would recommend it. I, w- I would definitely recommend it. Well, and so, as I mentioned previously, going into that series, the Reds were, I, I would think it's safe to say, were underdogs. I don't know if they officially were underdogs. Well, I think they were underdogs for everybody but the guys that were in the locker room. Yeah, <laughs> that, that may have been. I'm sure that there were a few people around. And, and as a Reds fan, I definitely felt as if, hey, you know, that this they've got a shot at this. Yes. You know, they've, they've played well all year. But, you know, if you put it in the perspective of what the entire country thought, well, no, that probably, you know, the A's, right. are, the A's are just better. Well, and, they, and they, they may, have, they they may have been better. Well, they finished with a record of 103 and 59. Yes. That's pretty good. It's it's one of those cases where they were probably the better team. They just didn't play as if they were the better team during those four games. Here's a little trivia question for you on this that I'm just noticing. For those that are Reds fans especially, you know who the farm director was of the Oakland A's 1990 season? The farm director for the A's. Farm director for the A's. In recent years, he was involved with the Reds. In the front office capacity. That I'm, would be Walt, Walt Jockety. Jockety, yes, yes, that's right, yes. Walt Jockety yes. was a part of the that is, uh, that is true. That is That is true. So we go into that with the with the A's favored. The, the series starts uh, in Cincinnati and Riverfront. That was the game. Uh, it was Jose Rio against Dave Stewart. Yes. And Jose Rio just, I mean, shut them down like there's no tomorrow. Eric Davis had a two-run homer in that game to start things off. The Reds got out to a big lead and ended up winning game one, seven to zip. That home run by Eric Davis really set the tone for the entire series, really. Yes. And the fact that Jose Rijo was so dominant. Yeah. And that was something that he would continue in Mm -hmm. game four and then eventually be the MVP. Jose Rijo, incidentally, was a property of the Oakland A's at at one point. That's correct. It kind of works out. Ten degrees of separation. Yeah, there you go. And then in game two, also at Riverfront, that one won ten innings. That was uh, the probably the closest game of the series. Unsung hero Joe Oliver yes. hit a, an RBI single in the 10th inning off Dennis Eckersley right. to give the Reds a 5-4 win and took the series up to zip. Yes, of course, that was the, the last one of the series that would be in Cincinnati. That's correct. Because the series would move to Oakland. But that also 
you know, save Tom Browning the tad of, of embarrassment. And as, what as, is the infamous well, story the, the, of the, Game the, 2 at Riverfront of Tom Browning? The story with, with that was that uh, he had left the ballpark because he was going to be starting Game 3, so he didn't really think that, that was going to be a big issue. But he issue. didn't tell anybody. He yeah. didn't really tell anybody. No, and, that's right. And so, the, you know, as the game wore on, you know, they were trying to find him. And, of course, uh, it ended up on the radio with Marty Brenneman and I believe on television with Tim McCarver where <laughs> they were like, right. hey, Tom, come back to the ballpark. <laughs> we we may need you. And, and of course, he was about to become a father. Yes. And so, you know, it was kind of a, you know, one of those things that when you look at the perspective of it is is absolutely hilarious but well, nobody knew why he left nobody right. knows nobody yeah. knows what the priority schedule is there right and he's choosing family over the game right well, because well it's which going is, into extra innings that's where the reds got yeah. got nervous right. it's and, completely an admirable yeah. cause oh, but yeah, nobody no, knows and there's, and it, there's no question about it that, it's not that, like that's he has a cell do. phone somebody right. could have called him and everybody goes oh i'm right big deal we'll see you tomorrow in that era you don't you know you're not you're not sending somebody a text and saying hey you need to come back to the ballpark that's exactly i'm assuming that that he was at the hospital probably watching it on TV pending the birth of the child so you know exactly. it's kind of a you know kind of one of those moments that but they end up not needing him thank goodness yes, that and and so then he starts game 3 and in Oakland he starts game 3 in Oakland they go out to Oakland Chris Sabo makes an appearance as the hero as he hit two home runs in that game and for those of you Don and I's age uh we're in our 50s would remember uh, a series of commercials with Spuds McKenzie, <laughs> yes. goofy-looking dog that Budweiser was showing a lot, Chris Sabo would wear these uh, glasses and kind of look like Spuds McKenzie. So he had the nickname Spuds. Yes, he, he was a, an interesting individual. I've actually met him and talked to him when I was a reporter for the Richmond Palladium item mm-hmm. covering the Frontier League. And Sabo came to Richmond because he was going to be, become a manager in the Frontier League. Okay. And, and so he came and... And actually, I have a baseball signed by Chris Sabo that has Rookie of the Year on it and stuff. So it's it's pretty okay. pretty cool to have something like that and to have actually met him. And he's one of those guys that you look at him athletically and you think, okay, whatever. And then you play against him is like, <laughs> I want him on my team. Yes. <laughs> you know, so and he was representative of the whole team again. The nasty yes. boys. I mean, these these guys were just tough, gritty, not letting anything get in their way. They were determined, and that was all. A reflection of their manager, yes, Lou. Let me throw the first base bag around the yes. infield, Panella. Yeah, and there's a lot of documented things about him as well. Being just, he's one of those guys that's kind of rowdy. And of course, you start talking about the nasty boys a little bit. And there was a time when Lou Panella and Rob Dibble. Oh yeah. Well, well there, I'm not sure what you want to call that in the locker room, the but locker they were room, all yes. over the, you know, all all over each other, well, you're rolling not around. Have personalities like that, and not have fights going on in the. No, they definitely, yep. you know, one of those. Things. And of course, Lou Pinella learned that naturally, being a member of the Yankees, right. playing for Billy Martin with Reggie Jackson in, on the team. So I don't know if there was a whole lot of difference between no, the Bronx Zoo at that like, era and the Nasty Boys nasty, uh, that, I don't, that he I was think a manager. There's could split a hair not, between. Not a lot of difference with that one. And then in Game Four, the Reds close it out with a pitching duel because it's Riho against Dave Stewart. And as you mentioned earlier, Riho was the World Series MVP. And he outdueled uh, Dave Stewart, and the Reds win it two to one. Uh, a couple of Reds heroes in that game were some unknowns. Glenn Braggs yes. uh, hit a sack ground out, 
and then there was a sacrifice fly by Hal Morris. And that's kind of the way that team works, though. I mean, yes. you, you know, they manufactured both runs, yep. basically, and were able to do some things. They didn't care about a lot of things other than just winning. And it right. didn't matter who was doing things. One other thing, Eric Davis was hurt in that game. Yes. And that's where he ended up with the lacerated kidney. But also Billy Hatcher yes. was hit. So it's great that the series ended in four games yes. because the Reds <laughs> probably would have continued – the series without Hatcher and Davis, and which Aaron would have Davis, been a real right. issue wasn't for that, them. Wasn't there some controversy there, too, that Marge shot wouldn't let Eric Davis fly in yeah, a helicopter and, home and, or something? And that's and not really – I don't know if don't it's know all that, that was clear all, you know, yeah, on, on all of that yeah. kind of stuff that happened. I think and, eventually she, they, they made, you, made up. Yeah, but I think he could ride in the same seat as Shotzi. Well, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, Mar- Marge shot was – a busted spleen. Marge shot was an interesting person. And I will – Laugh at this moment until I can't laugh anymore. Uh, yes. Marge Shot actually has called me honey personally. Mark, Marge Shot called me honey. honey. I, I was I called honey, honey by Marge Shot. We're we're at opening day. Honestly, I can't remember. I, I covered several opening days for the newspaper in Cincinnati. We're at opening day. I'm going up the press elevator. Mm-hmm. I push the button, and the door opens, and <laughs> Marge shots on the elevator. So the person running the elevator says, okay, uh, you can't go on this one. And she looked at him, and I thought, oh, my, he's going to get fired right here on the spot. (laughs) And she looks at me and says, come on, honey. I got on the elevator and rode up the elevator with Marge and, and some poor soul that was probably fired after the, after the game, but would he looked, like, he looked frightened. Would you, would you like to pet my pooch? Yeah. So. Say hi to Shotzi, so, will ya? So, so anyway, so that's my, my brush Your with brush fame. Was oh, there you go. And, and only, I think with that, and only three shot, people knew about that. Well, I think with, with that and my great, uh, Marge shot impression, we'll end this good podcast on the 1990 World Series Cincinnati Reds. And that will actually end our series on the 150th anniversary of the Cincinnati Reds. Unfortunately, they were not able to do much this year. They've been in a serious slump the last several years. Hopefully, we'll get to do another podcast soon. Yes. About another world championship in Cincinnati. Exactly. In the meantime, we're going to kind of change topics with our next podcast and get into some of the season-ending awards that were given out recently. So please stay tuned, and we'll discuss those things and give our opinions. So thank you so much for listening to Season Ticket, presented by PressRoomPass.com, and we will see you very soon. Thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Season Ticket Podcast, presented by PressRoomPass. This is the end of the series celebrating the Cincinnati Reds' 150th anniversary. There are many more highlights and lowlights that could have been discussed. Maybe the long-hoped-for Reds' return to the World Series will give the guys a chance. In the meantime, they're looking forward to sharing their love of the Reds and sports in general, past and present, with you. In our next episode, Chris and Don will recap the 2019 MLB postseason award recipients. Be sure to come back for their take on who should have won. Earlier, I mentioned you could find out how to connect with Chris and Don. Begin by visiting the PressRoomPass.com website. Contact the podcast by email at SeasonTicket at PressRoomPass.com. Stop by our Facebook page. 
There's a link in the show notes, and don't forget to like the page to have new posts show up in your newsfeed, or comment on a couple. We look forward to reading what you have to say. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Now you can find it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. The RSS feed is at seasonticket.castos.com, and you can subscribe at Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and most popular podcast apps. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to tell your friends, share today's episode, and encourage them to subscribe. A new episode will be announced on our Facebook page and at PressRoomPass.com very soon. Until then, keep your eye on the ball. Yes, Coming yes, back yes. in three. Chris wishes he knew my middle name. <laughs> Is it like BJ Honeycutt where <laughs> Hawkeye never found out what the BJ stood for? Exactly. That was a great series for, for yes. them. They had uh, drug day break. Yeah, can we go can we go there? We're gonna go drug with Drayback. We're gonna cut that off. This is what happens when I forget my book. I'm starting to feel a little bit like a Cubs fan because I've been a Reds fan, and, and it's been a, a long drought here for easy. us. Easy. <laughs> yeah, easy is a good word there. <laughs> what does that do to you, Donna, I, it vision makes of me It makes me want to grab my cheese head and, and cry <laughs> like I did with Tony Perez. That just it, it frightens Wait me. You don't mean that I could put on my boogie shoes back I, in the day? I didn't say that you couldn't I do remember. that. I just said that that vision haunts me. I remember the flared out pants you used to, the bell bottoms you used to have on back in the day. That's what what we did. Come on. Ah, yeah, that's right. I I forgot about that. that. I'd love to hear all of your philosophies, but right now, I just want to take a break. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because she had a lot of quantum quantum physics theories that she liked to talk about. I want to hear all your theories, Chris, but seriously, let's get back to the podcast. No, no, it was, Uh, come on, honey. I think we could have a whole episode just with Chris doing Mark's shot imitations. Yes, yes. Did I just make that up? <laughs> <laughs>